Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think we got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. And away we go. First day after the first day of the Syracuse basketball season and headed into the last day of the home football schedule at the Carrier Dome on Friday night. And before we get into any of that, Seth just dropping a bombshell. What is that about? Yeah, you and I looked at each other during the update. Like <laughs> I've never been to the Cordiga Jug. I have I once. do have a student who's going this year. I've always wanted to go. The one year recently that I'm aware of where it aligned on a bye week, I thought maybe we'd go, and it was when Wolfgang Schaefer was on the team. Scott Schaefer went. That was a particularly muddy, particularly boozy kind of day. I think it was one of the days that where stuff bubbled over to the point where now they've made some different rules and they're trying to get their arms uh, around what's become a pretty rowdy event. I think the Cortica Jug, from what I hear, is awesome. I'd love to go see it someday. Tremendous. I hope I'm wrong, but hot take. How could this possibly work at MetLife Stadium? You tell me you're going to draw 40,000? Unless the Alumni bases of Cortland and Ithaca are way stronger than I am perceiving them to be right now. Boy, I don't know how they can do that. I hope they do it. It'd be fantastic. Wish them all the the best. I don't know that the game that game is so big that it's going to draw just Joe Fan in from around New York the way that a even a Syracuse USC game would, or Syracuse Penn State, or any of those other games that might have popped up over the years at the Meadowlands. One thing that makes that game cool is the schools are separated by just a few miles, and now you're moving both of them three more hours down the road. I wish Seth had to say it in his uh, sportscast. That's proper writing to fill that out. I hope I'd be smart enough to guess if he had said where was the Division Three record set. I probably would have guessed Mount Union, to be honest with you. But... The reason that you can draw Division Three in Minnesota is they have several programs that are in the hunt. St. Thomas comes to mind. Is it St. Thomas or St. James or whatever? St. Thomas. And they've got a league, you know, based in Minnesota, and it's part of their culture, and you can get all the people from the state there, and you can come and rally around this one game. I don't think that that's present uh, for Cortland and Ithaca. If every student from both schools went... For a 10-year period. <laughs> you get 12,000 yeah. people. That's if every and I hope student. they're busting them and all that, but that you could bring them... You know, the capacities, obviously, of those stadiums are, are both very small. Great facility down there at Cortland in particular and kind of quaint and fun at Ithaca, but... I believe I went once when I was 21. Really? I... I remember getting it. I remember getting in the car and going. <laughs> from there, it was uh, from there. It was not much more that I recall. MetLife Stadium. Wow. I don't see how that happens. Why wouldn't they do the dome? 
or attempt to, right? If you're trying yeah. to, if if the idea was capacity, but is it easier to get people in New York City to go to that? Yeah, maybe it is because you know, you're obviously have to draw people from around the country and from uh, different geographical regions, and your alumni based. I'm sure they have alumni in New York, and I'm sure they like a lot of schools. They have more alums in New York than they do in their hometown. That that's because it's New York City. So I hope it works. Go Bombers and go Dragons. But that one's a, a head scratcher. Next year, huh? See how it goes. We'll have to keep an eye on that. We will broadcast live. That'd be fantastic. Let's go. Good excuse to get to the uh, the Cortica Jug game. Although, again, to, for me personally, and I'm not trying to do this to uh, hurt their efforts. I'm just kind of naturally reacting reacting to something I just heard for the first time. Um, Part of what would get me to go to a game like that is the Division Three of it, is the fact that you're on a small campus, that we park right here and we walk there and the tailgating and the camaraderie of 10, 12, 15,000 in a stadium that holds 12. Even if this was pretty successful, 20,000, if it was wildly successful, 40,000, it's going to be 40,000 in a stadium that holds 60 to 70. Eh. It'll look cool because MetLife um, can do that. And if you've got a good graphic designer, and I'm sure both of those schools can do it and can collaborate their efforts to, you know, the way they color a, a, an otherwise gray stadium to look like the Jets in green and the Giants in blue and Syracuse in orange or whatever it might be. And on this day, I'm sure they can do some really cool things uh, visually. But um, hope I'm wrong, but it does seem a little uh, far-fetched that that would be a draw. Good luck to him. Well, uh, we basically thought we would center today's show around 26 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Here, that's all we got for you today, folks. The, the Cortica Jug thing was a bonus. We got 26 seconds to give you, and uh, I think it speaks for itself, really. You know, this is the worst offense than we played last year. This is absolutely uh, the worst offense that I've ever, I can remember seeing. We can't make shots, and we're not getting good movement, and we're not rebounding the ball at all. I mean, our defense is the only thing that's even making it close. And I don't even think our defense is that good. I just think they're missing shots because they flew 3,000 miles. But that, that's absolutely awful, awful offense. A lot of reaction to Coach Beheim's halftime comments last night on social media, and they all fell into two large categories. The largest, more than half of the people said something to the effect of, well, there he is, midseason form. It's the first time I've ever had a bite my lip (laughs) to not laugh while he was doing that. When he said they flew 3,000 miles. (laughs) The only reason they missed any shots. I was trying not to laugh. Like, holy cow, he's... That's great. And then the other... Big chunk. So if 50 to 60% of the respondents were... Can I try and guess what that's the That's mid-season were? four. Well, the other, it's just, it's kind of a generic thing. Is it... Why is he talking about his players no. now? No, okay. No, I, I don't ever really get that. Almost never. And certainly didn't see any of that last night. No, the next most common response was, man, that's why we love this guy. <laughs> Can't get enough. Love how he says it like it is. And... uh that's the best one of those we've ever done. I mean, some of his response, sometimes it's seven seconds. 
you know, and he doesn't really have a lot to say, or he's yeah. very cut and dry. We need to make more shots. We need to get some stops, whatever. Um, sometimes after the game, he's effusive in his praise. But that was at halftime last night. That was with an 18 point lead and having given up 10 points at halftime. Syracuse winning last night 66 34. About the most lopsided, low scoring game you're ever going to see. A carrier dome low, 22% field goals allowed. A Jim Beheim era low, 34 points allowed. So the defense was very good, overmatching an Eastern Washington team that was playing without some injured players. But those were the comments of uh, Coach Beheim, and we felt it was our One more. duty to recycle that for you. you know, this is the worst offense that we played last year. This is absolutely the worst offense that I've ever I can remember seeing. We can't make shots, and we're not getting good movement, and we're not rebounding the ball at all. I mean, our defense is the only thing that's even making it close. And I don't even think our defense is that good. I just think they're missing shots because they flew 3,000 miles. But that, that's absolutely awful, awful offense. For people who didn't watch the game, I wonder if you could play that for them and then have them guess what they thought the score was and see how many guesses it would take to get it right. Because it sounds like a coach is losing, right? Not and in fact, they were up 18. Yeah, but I thought they'd have more. Going into this game, I thought they were gonna. I thought the margin was going to be closer, but there was going to be more points scored. Yes. And what we got was exactly what we got last year at the end of the season. Yeah, you were you were pounding that drum uh, early, weren't you? That it, you felt like it was um, similar to last year in a lot of ways. Yeah, it was. It it was the defense was unbelievable at points, and they. Took a while to get into the offense. And yeah. again, they don't have point guards either. Yeah, right. Eastern had a stretch of nine minutes. In fact, it was nine and a half minutes without a field goal early in the game, which is crazy. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to get too worked up about it in terms of uh, gloom on the on the offense. It was fine. It's hard, I think, to play uh, at your sharpest in some of those situations against... Your season opener? I know. Season opener, you're right. Sh- Should have been... Uh, Right there for it, but I think with um, you know, there's lots of reasons they maybe weren't weren't at their sharpest. But the defense was very good. Defense will continue to be very good. At the other end of the spectrum, you see Duke, who came out and was just awesome. Uh, you know, Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett had 20 points in the first half of his college career. Zion Williamson, his usual level of highlight dunks, and they blasted Kentucky. Put up 118 points. I mean, think about. Clicking there, so I think you'll. That's clearly going to be Duke's season high in scoring, and it'll probably be Eastern Washington's season low in scoring. I bet you Duke scores more than that. 118 points. Yeah, they're that was against Kentucky. They're going to play like some dopey school. Like they have, yeah. Their yeah. schedule coming up is uh, not strong. They play Army, Eastern Washington or uh, Eastern Michigan. You know, but places like that that can, um, you know, zone you or, or slow things down, but. Yeah, those were the thoughts of uh, Coach Bayham. We're going to visit with Adam Terry. We're going to talk football, see what Adam thinks of those uh, comments. We'll, we'll play that for him and see if he can put that into some sort of context. See if he can ever imagine Coach P. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, get his thoughts on Senior Day at the Dome. The you know, Orange looking to go unbeaten in the Carrier Dome this year, and uh, what an achievement that would be, uh, not to mention the emotion of Senior Day. We'll hear from uh, somebody who knows and who's been through that tunnel and uh, has gone through it knowing it's his final time. A little unique this year, though, 
with the Orange uh, headed to huge games following Senior Day. We'll get into that as we continue. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth brought to you by Bugs Be Gone and CH Insurance. Good to have you with us this midweek, Wednesday afternoon. Dino Baber's show is tonight, keep in mind, with the Friday night football game. So we'll have uh, Coach Mike Cavanaugh over there, the uh, offensive line coach. We'll uh, join Coach Babers late in the show tonight, and I'll be out at Press Room Pub this evening from 7 to 8. Adam Terry joins us regularly on Wednesdays. Forget about when the kickoff actually is. He's right there in his regular dependable time slot Wednesday afternoon. Adam, how are you? Matt, I'm doing fantastic. I can speak this week. Yes. Yeah, you were a little uh, little hoarse. You uh, played like a champion right through the game, and uh, you sound great. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, now you're uh, really uh, <laughs> turning it up a notch there. Um, are you excited we get to uh, work in some offensive line talk with uh, Coach Cav on the show tonight? Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's done a great job. He's taken a veteran offensive line group that uh, last year was a liability, and uh, this year has been a strength. <clears throat> Do you, when you look at the rushing touchdowns, Adam, 16 last year, 27 and counting this year. What are the reasons for that? Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a source of pride. You know, you, you look at first schematically, they were throwing the ball down the field a lot last year. This year, um, defensive has said, okay, well, we're, you're not going to be a take Wake Forest specifically. You're not going to be able to throw the ball against us. You're going to have to run. And they put the onus on the offensive line. It's a veteran group. Um, and they've done a fantastic job of, of banging between the tackles with Mo Neal, Strickland, and Dungy. Well, Dungy, the leading rusher with uh, 10 touchdowns, and they spread it around last week. Jarvion Howard, it's funny, we haven't seen him really, outside of an early run in uh, his first game, we haven't really seen him break away from anybody, but uh, he's the go-to man in the short-yarded stuff. Yeah, I look at Jarvie and Howard, he, you know, he's a smaller guy, smaller in stature, you know, 5'10", two, or 5'10", 210, but I, he reminds me of like a, a LeGarrette Blunt. He's the closer. You know, when New England had extreme success in the red zone running the football, that was the guy that they gave the ball to. And, and in Syracuse's situation, Jarvie had some, some fumble issues early on this season, but he's done a, done a pretty good job of being the guy you know, whether it be a little bit of a short yardage or towards the goal line, he doesn't necessarily always get the touchdown. Uh, number two does a great job of calling his own number and getting those. <laughs> but uh, you, you know, you look at a situation; he's a guy that can really bang between the tackle, and he has a he has a high ceiling going in the future. When you use the idea of uh, source of pride, I think when you're running the football, it is a more physical act. It, it takes more uh, teammates in some cases. It feels like you're physically dominating. The opposition, and you can see where that tends to—I uh, don't know if "snowball" is the right word—but it tends to sort of boost the momentum or adrenaline of a team more so than just uh, throwing it around the yard. Yeah, you know, you look at Aaron Roberts, and you look at an Evan Adams. Those guys aren't the—I'm not going to say the greatest pass protectors in the world. They do a very good job, but their forte is, "Hey, spot the ball up. Let me smack the three technique and the nose guard in the mouth." Let me soften them up, then let me pass protect. So what they've been able to do this year is 
You know, you look at uh, Indianapolis at the beginning of the season, and they just threw, threw, threw. When they became a little bit more balanced and, and were able to run the ball like uh, Syracuse has done, um, it allows that offensive line, those two interior guys that pride themselves on nastiness. And in Evan, Adam, Evan Adams' case, a couple personal fouls here and there, throwing Ravian Pierce, it gives a mentality, it gives a swagger uh, for these guys to go out and then do the thing that uh, you get paid for in the NFL is pass protect later on in the game. Adam Terry, our guest, he uh, got paid to play in the NFL for a number of teams, mostly the Ravens. He'll be with us on Saturday, or I'm sorry, on Friday with a 7 o'clock game, the Orange and Louisville, who comes into the Carrier Dome, not only having lost six in a row, but winless in ACC action so far this year. Adam's broadcast day will get started with Gomez and Lisa over at the Sheridan at 4 on TK99. Things get uh, going for us network-wide the hour after that, and uh, away we go with the 7 o'clock kickoff in the Dome. And It's senior day, Adam, so Coach Babers has said, hey, stick around in your seats after the game and love up the seniors and vice versa. But also before the game, you'll see the seniors walk out and be with their parents, and there's so much made every year. It seems like we talk about it, the idea of how emotional that is. Can that emotion be channeled uh, toward proper focus on the game? Is it always something to overcome, or can it help you maybe heighten that focus? It's it's one that, hey, at least they have smoke nowadays. We used to take <laughs> the fire extinguisher out and spray that on the ground before we ran out of the tunnel on senior day. So that, that's they've upgraded over there. Uh, kudos to Pete Sala over at the Dome doing that. But you look at the situation – you're looking around in the tunnel. You get to see the guys that you, you've shed you know, blood, sweat, and tears with. Then you run out on the field, and the first people that you see are your parents. You know, So that's, that's one where it really signifies the end of your career. Um, there, there are some seniors here that have pro potential, but then there are guys that aren't even going to step a foot on a practice squad or even in training camp. So that's the realization for some of these guys that these next three games are the most important thing that they're going to do um, at the end of 2018. So it, it's a cool experience. You're going to have people up in the stands. There are distractions. But the one thing that really uh, narrows that focus is is the realization that it's going to it's coming to an end. Coming to an end, but this one sticks out for me, and I've found myself talking about it quite a bit with Coach Babers, and we can uh, get into it here on the show. It's not – like Senior Day has been in years past, when the team's been four and eight, three years in a row, and you know you're not going to a bowl. Senior Day like is a thing. Like you play it up, and hey, uh, everybody come to this last game. It's your chance to say goodbye and thank all the seniors for their performances and blah blah blah. And the, well, that's not what it is now. This is you know you can do all that, but it's also in a way a send off. The three most important games of the season all come after this game. Yeah, but it's it's your last. It's your last. Uh run out in the dome the last time. Heck, uh, you know, I hope this place is sold out. I mean, you know, uh, I've said it in the past, but you, you look at a situation like this, this is a senior class that has done more for Syracuse football than probably I, I'm looking, trying to look back over the last 20 years. It's the most important senior class that it's ever been through Syracuse. And, you know, there's seven and two. It's, a, it's an opportunity that if you haven't even stepped foot in the game right now, you're going to see one of the best Syracuse teams ever run out on the field. And, you know, it's, it's, yes, it's a, it's an end to a beginning. They have these next three games 
And usually the bowl game, like you're saying, is the one where you really send them off. You go down, you hang out with a different family, so on and so forth. But um, Syracuse has a, a, a challenge to really be focused against a, a Louisville team that, in all, in all essence, is not a very good team. And it's hard to imagine why they're not. They, obviously, it they is. lose Lamar Jackson, who's a beast. But Louisville recruits, they've got talent. You look at some of their uh, players, there's big play potential there. But, boy, they have not stopped a nosebleed all season. Yeah, and it's it's offensively and defensively. And I was able to jump on the phone uh, yesterday with Alex Cupper, their color analyst, and we were talking back and forth. And, you know, I, I'd love to talk about our conversation, but it's one that, you know, defensively, you look at Brian Van, Go- Van Gorder and, and what they're doing. And – the one thing that you have to look at is guys are not in the right position. They're getting gashed because they're, they're blitzing and they're moving and they're doing the things that, um, you know, has been successful in the, in the career for Van Gorder, but they're just not in the right place. And it almost looks as though they're, um, lo- they're loafing way too much out on the field. It's, it, I don't want to say they don't care, but it's, it's, it's very, Seeable. You you pop on the film and you guys you see two guys running in a B gap when one's supposed to be in the A gap and one's supposed to be in, in the B gap and they're getting gashed. You know the touchdown against Clemson last week versus um, versus Louisville. Feaster takes it straight up the middle and it's a situation where three guys are in the wrong spot. I, I've never I've never seen it in in all my career. Well, they might have had eight and, in the right spot. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, as Dino would say, everybody has to do their one eleven. Oh, there you and, go. You had and, eight and guys they, doing one eleven. They're not doing that. <laughs> so, and then you look at the offensive side of the ball, and it just seems like they can't get it going. Lamar Jackson was such a a big key to the puzzle, and and I'm a Baltimore guy, and I get to watch a little bit of what he's doing down there, and the conversations of what the organization is really having to have right now. He he was just a special talent, and. It's it's a catch up right now for Juwan Pass, who's he, he's trying, but it's just not going in his direction. He's got seven touchdowns and ten picks, you get a- um, and then you've got an offensive line that is is getting beat in all all aspects of the game. They've given up thirty two sacks, and to go against Syracuse right now with they're giving up thirty two sacks throughout the season, and you're going to put Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson against the tackles. I mean, it, it's praying. Uh, you know, that uh, Juwan Pass comes out on both feet. Well, that's right. And uh, the shoe is on the other foot this year around because Lamar Jackson has had his way, not just with Syracuse, but really with the entire league, has devastated people for a period of time. And now uh, we'll see if uh, the other teams are able to uh, kind of take advantage of what they've got and uh, maybe embarrass Louisville to an extent. We'll see how that uh, comes to play. Seven o'clock game on Friday night, the Orange in Louisville. Syracuse hasn't beaten Bobby Petrino when he's been the, the head coach there, and so I'm sure Bobby has a great deal of confidence built up on that, and uh, we'll get into the matchup as we continue here throughout the week in a, a game on Friday night. We're back on tomorrow's show, by the way, to talk hoops with Mike Waters of Syracuse.com. Adam, we want to share a, a nugget from last night's basketball game for you. Okay, we have a exclusive visit, we'll, we'll call it, with Coach Beheim when he leaves the floor. Did you watch the game last night, first of all? 
Uh, I actually turned on the uh, the the butt whooping that Duke. Okay, was Duke. Yep. Down on. Okay, so uh, we're going to play Coach Beheim's uh, halftime comments for you, and then on the other side, I want you to guess the score at the time. You know, this is the worst offense that we played last year. This is absolutely uh, the worst offense that I've ever, I can remember seeing. We can't make shots, and we're not getting good movement, and we're not rebounding the ball at all. I mean, our defense is the only thing that's even making it close. And I don't even think our defense is that good. I just think they're missing shots because they flew 3,000 miles. But that, that's absolutely awful, awful offense. All right, within a couple of points, can you guess the, the halftime score of last night's game against Eastern Washington, who threw 3,000 miles? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go with they were probably – Syracuse is probably around 50 points and North Dakota's uh, 35. Well, that was the women's game. That was about the final score. No, it was uh, 28 to 10 at halftime. So, oh, geez, Louise! Yeah, so <laughs> it was. Uh, it was not uh, especially good offense, but it was. Uh, we thought very colorful. We always love Coach Beheim's candor. Very uh, privileged to have it, and uh, thought you would enjoy that. You, how many coaches would you say you don't have to name names if you don't want to? How many coaches would you say that are as plain as Coach Beheim was there? I, I, you know, that's when I when I played for Coach P. You know, the great thing about Coach P was Coach P would come in, you're eating lunch or you're eating dinner, and he would walk up to you and say, hey, you know, hey, Adam, play 23 and inside drill. And just look you dead in the eye, shake his head and walk away. So I'm like, okay, what's play 23? How did I do? You just felt a little bit demoralized because you, your, your head coach, one, never really talks to you. I probably was in his office twice in my whole career. So he's talked to me probably 20 times in my whole career while I was at Syracuse, most of them were uh, affiliated with cuss words. And, you know, when he comes up to you and he says that, it's like Bayheim, like, hey, we're awful. Well, you're not really awful. You're the 16th team in the country, and <laughs> things just aren't going your way right now. Yeah, that's kind of the way it went down. That's good. But that, it's funny you say that about Coach P because he's talking about practice, and he thinks that you're as in tune with it as he is, that you remember exactly what play, where he's – Watch it on film, and he's got it marked. You know exactly what play it is, and and that type of thing from uh, from just a drill in practice. He's one of a kind. So is Coach Beheim. We love them both, and uh, we thank you uh, for your time here, Adam. Good stuff. We'll see you in the dome on Friday night. All right, sounds like a plan, guys. That's uh, Adam Terry. One of the things Adam has coming up is a trip back to Baltimore for a Ravens alumni event. Is uh, in Baltimore the day after the. Uh, Syracuse Notre Dame game so he's going from New York to Baltimore and the Ravens are hosting the uh, 10th anniversary of the 2008 oh, team. I forgot to ask him up. what the score of the Steelers Ravens game was this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> he probably knows. That, that one he could probably guess a little more accurately than his score of the basketball game. Uh, you did mention uh, Syracuse Notre Dame. That was the women's game and the Orange rolled in uh, their opener as well. Balanced scoring. Four players in double figures. Nobody had more than 13 points. O'Shea Brissett was the only double-figure scorer in the men's game last night for either team. He had 20 points and 8 rebounds. He's going to have a lot of double-doubles this year. When we come back, do we care with Tommy? Your phone calls are welcome at 315-437-7644. You're listening to In the Booth on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. 
Welcome back in the booth on ESPN Radio here in Central New York. Back tomorrow to talk basketball with Mike Waters. No show on Friday as uh, we gear up for the football game, the Q's and Louisville at 7 o'clock start time. Do we care coming up in just a moment, but first to the phones and Stephen North Syracuse. Hello, Steve. Uh, hello, Matt. Um, I, I, I do have a comment on Bobby Petrino, but I wanted to just uh, uh, get some uh, scheduling matters done here. Could you go over the uh, schedule for the remaining D- Dino Baber shows and when uh, the first Jim Beheim show will be, and will they have a combined show like they've done the last couple of years? No, uh, we don't have plans for that. That was a good show the last couple of years, but uh, Coach Beheim shows at a new location this year, and it's not the same location as the uh, Dino Baber show, so that's how that had worked out in the past. Coach Beheim's show will start on the 19th at Carabas uh, in the uh, Fayetteville Town Center, so uh, looking forward to that uh, here in a couple of weeks. The Coach Babers show we have tonight, these are all kind of off schedule, so there's a show tonight. Next week there's no show at all because there's games every day. And then uh, the following week is Thanksgiving week, we'll do a show on Tuesday night. And that'll be it. I would not be surprised at all if we put together something uh, leading up to a bowl, but we'll uh, we'll determine that once we see what the schedule is and where the bowl travel is and how long in advance we're going and and those types of things and where it fits in relation to the basketball schedule and, and some other things. But uh, appreciate your interest in those. But uh, with Coach Babers, we've got tonight and a week from yesterday, two weeks from yesterday. Okay, a quick comment on Bobby Petrino. I have a feeling one thing that might have happened to Louisville is that, you know, he came to to that school with such baggage. It might have been difficult for him to recruit players to be coached by him and that uh, Lamar Jackson's excellence covered up the fact that the program may have been slipping anyway, and now that Jackson's gone, Petrino's difficulty recruiting uh, kids might be uh, the reason that they've fallen down. I, I think you could very much be onto something. I think he's been thought to be a pretty good recruiter in the past. They've had other good players over time. They've had a lot of pros. Uh, but another way I sort of look at it is I think Bobby Petrino's a lot to deal with, and you can put up with it when he's winning, and when they're not winning, then he's a lot to deal with. <laughs> and uh, that's why I th- I, I'm not saying he's out there. I'm not saying he should be out. But if they move on from him, it'll be a function of that, that uh, you know they don't have a ton of patience right now coming upon a losing season where they might go winless in the conference. And Jeff Brom, who's a former Louisville quarterback, is a coach on the rise at, at a place that he's not going to stay very long like Purdue. Okay. Thank you very much. Bro. All right, Steve. Thank you. Hope you'll uh, call Coach Baber's show tonight. We'll be over at uh, Press Room Pub starting at 7 o'clock. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Don't care anymore. Reportedly, the Washington Nationals offered Bryce Harper a 10-year, $300 million deal on the last day of the season, trying to get him to re-sign before getting into free agency. But Joel Sherman of the New York Post believes that this offer was just really a PR ploy for the, for the Nationals. Yeah, I don't know. What, to make it look like, hey, we made an offer and he's yeah. going to leave and, and uh, we did our part? I, I think the Nationals all along have been willing to move on from him and obviously they want to look like it's his choice because he's so beloved. He is a fan favorite. I don't know if he's beloved by everybody, though, anymore. You know, they... Uh, didn't have a really good season this past year. The Nationals have always been just a little bit short. 
This guy Soto, who's come up, is a beast, a rookie of the year caliber player. Uh, my bro- brother lives in D.C., and he's by no means the you know total representation of the Nationals fan base. I texted with him earlier this morning. He's like, good riddance, uh, you know, which is kind of sad for me because I would like to see him um, play there and stay there. I've, I've been to several games, and when he comes up, the the, the place goes crazy, and he's he's uh, a really fun player to watch, and I, I like people that, that stick around and, and try to build their organization into something. That being said, I would really enjoy Yankee baseball if he was in the lineup too, adding, you know, it doesn't really address any need for the Yankees because they're strong in the lineup and to put him at first base or the outfield or whatever is going to be a real embarrassment of riches and doesn't address their pitching. But he's uh, an awfully fun fl- player to watch. I think he'd be fun to root for night in, night out. He's going to get an absolute dump truck of money wherever he goes. And uh, I'm sure he felt, well, you know, I don't want to make $300 million here. I'll go make it $300 million somewhere else. There have been rumors of Yankees being interested in him playing first base. What do you, what do you think about that possibility? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I've seen it quite like that. The, the reason that it might be written that way, the Yankees have been to us, it's like one week spot where Greg Bird hasn't taken off yet. and I get it. It's it's one area. And then they were, during the season, he was working out at first base, and the Asian is saying, what? He what said Greg the, Bird hasn't taken off oh, yet. Oh, there you go. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then... With Harper, you know, he started taking ground balls at first base during the, you know, that was yeah. all playing the long game. Shaved his beard when the Yankees came into town. Yeah, his agent is uh, is saying, hey, look how good he could be at first base. Yep. I mean, what a lineup that would be. I mean, just incredible uh, with him and Duhar and Gregorius in the same infield. I mean, come on. Would be uh, would be unbelievable. Harper with the short porch. Yeah, and, and you know, Gleyber Torres. I mean, that would be one of the greatest infields of all time. But uh, believe that when we see it. And one of the things I think is neat for the Yankees is Pat Corbin, this kid from CNS, is one of their targets in free agency, which would be really cool. It would be very cool. They, and they need a pitcher, too. Dodgers could go after Harper. Yes. They've got the cash to yes. do it. And that would be a Giants, good thing for him Phillies, too. also. Yes. In the- Phillies really want to do something. The Chicago White Sox might, are interested in both Machado and Harper as well because they have the money. Uh, NBA, they they have decided to televise the NBA All-Star Draft this year, something that they probably yes. should have done starting last year. Should have done it right from the beginning. Yeah. I, I understand why they didn't, because it was experimental. They're worried about players getting offended and all this, but everybody's All-Stars. It's part of the fun of the whole playground concept. Hey, we're going to choose sides and and, uh, and play it out, so it'll be cool. Yeah, you're the 20th best player in the country. Uh, in the world. Yeah. In the world. <laughs> you know, like, oh, what was me? Yeah, yeah picked last. It's the same thing with the green room stuff. They should give them a truck or something. Like they, you, you know, whoever gets picked last right. should get Mr. Like Irrelevant a, gets yeah. a truck. Right. Yeah, or something. Get a sponsorship. Then when you it. get second to last, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm on. second to last. I didn't get squat. <laughs> yeah. No, but no, it'll be neat. I'll, I would actually probably watch that. LeBron, they pick a captain from East and the West, so it won't be able to be like LeBron KD or LeBron Steph Curry, which is where some of the drama came from last year and, and what people wanted to watch. But still, it will be interesting to see what, where these guys fall with their yeah, favorite players. Yeah, they make for good television. I, 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 I follow Major League Baseball. Cool. I follow baseball more closely than I do NBA in terms of watching the All-Star game and stuff. And I, if, if they did baseball like that, like they have done hockey, has become something like that Probable too. Kind of yeah. That. yeah, any of those things. So why not? Uh, an Uber driver had a dashboard security camera in his car recording without pa- any passengers' consent. Those passengers were the, a couple Ottawa Senator players, and they were caught talking negatively about one of their coaches. This video ended up getting released. 
And now there's a lot of interior stuff going on with the Senators. They have to repair this relationship with their assistant coach. Not you, good. Do you need permission if you're an Uber driver to record the people? Like, why yeah, would, first of all, why are they doing it? Why would an Uber driver do that? Security, I, mean, just I think. Super, you know, For secu- self, yeah. self-protection. Second, why is it getting released? Did, yeah, what, that, what was said that was such a big deal? I mean, I understand that you know hockey's a big deal in Ottawa and, the, and they're a public figure. I would defend the right of people in their off-work time. This is private time if they're riding to dinner or whatever. Yes, they're public figures. But if they're blowing off steam and they're talking about somebody they work with that's totally kosher, I'd have to hear a really good reason for why it was released. You know, if people just release, oh, check out what they're saying about Coach So-and-so, that's bogus. TMC bought it off him? Did they? I, I don't I have no idea. I, yeah, I'm I wonder, sure that he got money for it. Yeah. I'm and not sure, though. Does TMZ spend a lot of time worrying about, what, they can't get a Kardashian? And so, oh, let's see what the what's being said about assistant, senators. assistant NHL coaches. They do that, yeah. They, they have a TMZ sports. They yeah. have everything. Harvey Weinstein's just hanging out. <laughs> oh, he thinks we practice too hard. We're, we're going to yeah. really get into the assistant NHL coach gossip <laughs> scene. They do it with everybody, and they stop everybody. It doesn't matter what level of celebrity you are. They stop you and ask you a question, hoping you're going to say something stupid at the airport. It's like they just have representatives at the air, every airport, <laughs> and whatever crazy. celebrity walks by them, they stop them. It's, it's, That's got to be a hard way to get out of bed in the morning, I would think. <laughs> okay, thank you, Tommy. Yeah. Let people say what they want to say in their Uber. Let them talk about how bad their defense is or offense is. A lot of complaints or, about the penalty kill in this situation. Well, I was yeah. saying this yesterday. Will Myers got busted. Like, is that really what it is? I mean, That's I'd, what it I'd was. Love, I'd love to hear it. Are they sitting there talking about X's and O's and hockey and penalty kill? Who cares? They're complaining that during tape, during video and, and film rooms, the coach is just explaining what's going on in the TV instead of really coaching them. And that's what the, the big complaint was that Ooh. was in the video. Yeah. Well, Will Myers did the same thing. On he Entertainment was, Tonight. Will Myers was yeah, on Fortnite. Yeah, why are we taking infield every yeah, day? And yeah, and he's like, why are we bunt, bunting still with three <laughs> right. weeks left in the season? <laughs> right. That's your Padres. Good stuff. Back uh, in the booth in just a moment on ESPN Radio. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the booth, getting close to the end of the show here. No poll today, Paul. We didn't get into... Pizza or game times or anything like that? Should I turn my mic on? Would be <laughs> that would be a good one. I would vote no. Let's just, let's just stick with no on that. Mike Waters and his regular uh, Thursday spot. That'll start tomorrow. Talking basketball and uh, what he made of game number one. And then Moorhead State. Moorhead State plays UConn tomorrow night in stores. So the, the next two Syracuse opponents play each other tomorrow. Football in the Dome. Everybody's hoping that the Orange really put a thumping on Louisville, and uh, we'll see if they're able to do that. You can't lose this game. I mean, this is a a really important one that needs to be uh, to kind of guard against that you know, laying of an egg and giving back all these things you've gained in the last two weeks. You win this game, and you are ranked right through the end of the regular season at minimum, and then it means you're probably going to play a you know ranked ish team in the bowl, and uh, really opens up a lot of possibilities. Uh, a win uh, locks that all together here. Saturday, or I'm sorry, Friday night, back-to-back uh, primetime Dome games. The Orange uh, Friday taking on the Louisville Cardinals. Back with more, uh, not, uh, let's see, back with more tomorrow. For Polly and Tommy, I'm Matt. I'm tired. So are you. See ya.